This is Get Closer, a podcast by the Geneva International Motor Show. In this episode, we get closer to Jean-Philippe J.P. Ratkin. Classic car and lifestyle expert, J.P. Rathgen's love for cars started behind the wheel of his father's Citroen DS. A car that young J.P. would have fun driving around his dad's office when he was only eight years old. Thankfully, the DS didn't end up like his first car, smashed by a bus as he was driving. His first car might be long gone, but his passion remains stronger than ever. Now CEO of Classic Driver, that he helped transform across two decades. JP Radgen is now also a Concours of Elegance judge at events like Villa d'Este, Chantilly Arts and Elegance, the Ice at St. Moritz, Gold Coast Motor Festival, and Palutu Kwatu Classic. Good afternoon, JP. How are you? I'm very well, and I'm super excited uh, to look and looking forward to our conversation we're going to have. It's a real pleasure to speak to you. And when I was doing my little bit of research about you, I noticed that you wear a number of different hats. Would you say that? I mean, that uh, is the best uh, way to describe what I'm doing. If you would be more critical, you would say I do lots of things, but not very well. <laughs> That's the horrible truth. No, but I think there's so many nice things in the field I work in, which is classic cars. That's the bounding link. So, yes, I found out very early that racing is not mine because I'm too slow and have too much fear. So I needed to find some workarounds, uh, which is uh, working in that field of classic cars, I work for a company, dealing mostly with classic cars, and uh, being also jury member of Sur Concours Elegance events. I do podcasts as well, so it's very funny also to be a guest. That's a very rare occasion. And again, thank you for having me. So before we deep dive into those various different subjects, you talked about your uh, blooming racing career then. Tell me what happened, how how you started in uh, behind the wheel then. You know, as uh, every little boy who is interested in cars and has like a, a good vision and you know, uh, when I say little boy, I only refer to me. I think there are many, many people out there who love cars. So when I was, uh, everyone is dreaming becoming a kind of Michael Schumacher in a way. And uh, yeah, I had to learn the hard way that even my karting career stopped very early, being too slow. Then I tried a bit of mini challenge stuff, also not successful. <laughs> and then um, I tried historic racing, but that was just one race and then I was also out. And then I had the chance to know Walter Road a little bit better, uh, the famous race driver. And I asked him, yeah, Walter, you know what? I'm so fascinated about racing, but I'm not having it. And he looked at me and said, you know what? You don't have it. Just don't do it. Okay. And I think that was the best advice I ever got in my life because it saved me from drowning money into the bin and also maybe rescuing my health and my life and of those of many others. That's incredible and uh, amazing that you actually listened to his advice. <laughs> I don't think many youngsters would hear that and agree. It was hard, but you have to accept it, I think. Which means, you know, uh, to everyone out there, uh, if someone telling you something is not possible, try it. But uh, you have to, I think the art form is to understand when it's enough tried. Yeah, you try it hard enough and then stop it. And there's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I agree. Good. I like the fact that we start the podcast with a little nugget of advice for our listeners. Yes, you know, it's useful or not useful. I cannot tell. So, JP, you are now the CEO of Classic Driver. Yes. So, what background or how did you get into that world? <laughs> That's also a very nice story. I would say, again, please don't take this one as adv- not as, a, as an advice if you're in your career planning. Um, I didn't know what to do. I was too lazy for university. And um, I got some, uh, after two years of traveling around the world and doing nothing, I got a bit of a push from home saying, uh, by the way, young man, what is your future plan? Because your future plan will not be uh, living on uh, your mother's and my expenses, as my father said. End of story was my closest and longest friend, Benji, uh, his father founded Classic Driver in 1998 as a sheer online platform because he had the opinion that, I mean, the trading cars is not a thing that should be uh, related to closing hours. So uh, business should be open 24-7 and, and uh, the information should flow. And the internet was the right source at that time. And uh, one and a half year after Classic Drive was founded, I was uh, found myself sitting in an office after I spoke to my friend Benji and said, you know what, your dad does this thing called Classic whatever, was it, Driver? Yeah. So something with cars? Yeah, some cars. Internet? Yeah, internet. Okay, tick the boxes. So I sat there with that, that, that time CEO and uh, asked for an internship. And uh, luckily, he saw potential, or he just was kind, I don't know, and made me an intern. Um, and turned out there an unpaid intern for one year. So I think it paid off that I just invested that year of non-payment. No, that's that's actually the story. And so I stayed because there's little much else I can do. So that's the horrible truth. So was your dad or your mum, were they passionate in classic cars? My mother, on that extent, that she get annoyed when my father and I spoke about cars at the at the dinner. That was the only uh, her only interest in classic cars, even though she had a cool taste in cars. So I remember that she drove... So her first car was obviously growing up in Germany, uh, beginning 80s, was a, was a Beetle. And then, but then her second car was a Bauer 2002 semi-capriolet, I would say. So only like, it, it looks like an extended roof, uh, like glass roof thingy. So she had a good taste, but she's not interested in cars. And my father had the tendency of hurting himself by falling in love to French cars. So um, his daily was a Citroën and he collected Citroëns. So um, I learned driving on a DS Palace, actually. I was going to say what was your first car my first car to drive was that palace in yeah. you know, imagine it was champagne color outside and inside was green cloth i mean oh. only french can do that fantastic combination um but the car was great uh, so he had his cars uh, uh, near to his office and so there was a bit of space so i drove back and forth down the ramp up the ramp down the ramp up the ramp <laughs> Things like this, what you do when you're seven, eight, nine years old. And my very first car was a uh, Volkswagen Golf 2 CL, uh, 52 horsepower, very powerful car. But uh, I really loved that car. And, there, you know, I don't drink alcohol. I never did. So I was always the driver. And I can tell you, in that car, many friendships and many foundations of uh, future uh, marriages were founded. That I can say. Unfortunately, the car had an accident with me in it and the bus uh, who crashed into my car was a bit stronger than and so I had to say goodbye to that car but I loved it so you started at classic driver and then did your was your passion ignited was it already there or was was this a growing 
deepening that happened over that internship, I guess. The passion for cars was always around. I was always fascinating by cars. So um, that friend Benji, his father, he had um, a very cool dealership in Hamburg, uh, which was called Car and Driver. You see the similarity to the name Classic Driver. So uh, Car and Driver was like the modern version of a boutique in a sense, like high ceilings, glass everywhere, steel and glass. You had like leather coated desk and stuff like this. And you, and he had the dealerships for Aston Martin, Bentley and Rolls-Royce. So only the cool cars were in the window. And um, I remember that even before I met Benji, I was going with my father every Sunday because they were open on Sunday. I was going there to look at cars. So that was always a tour we did. Funny enough, my father, um, and I inherited this, uh, we are not very good at mechanics. So we are more like talking about the image and style that is more what we like in history. So we never went to like, ah, oh, let's have a father and son. We create that fantastic car. I'm very jealous of everybody who's doing that. But we went through like, I mean, the first book I read was about cars. We went to all museums around everywhere we went. It was necessary that we have a, uh, that we definitely have a car a museum around or like a bigger dealership or stuff like this. So it was, uh, it was born then, and the, that was the foundation. And then, of course, I, I wanted to always work in cars. And so it came one-to-one. Uh, -one. And as you said, I think uh, knowledge and passion and the combination of the e-commerce side of it was very interesting. So otherwise, I would say, you know, cars is just rubber, plastic, and, and metal. That's it. But it's the stories around it. It's the stories about the designer. It's the stories about characters like Ettore Bugatti, how... Uh, awful we must be as a human being or how a dictator like Enzo Ferrari must have been but all these kind of characters loading energy and fun to the car and emotion if you look at classic cars they are a bit like a time capsule that's in many many ways for example I remember that we had at the Concorso d'Eleganza Villa d'Este a car it was American built car don't nail me on the brand the owner was a flamboyant lady from the 30s and uh, she was a heavy smoker, so she had in that car, She, I think it was a Duesenberg, but as I said, don't name me on that one. And she was driving the car herself, but on every position there were ashtrays. And as the ashtrays had a little compartment, which were exactly made for the cigar packages at that time. And there were original cigarettes kept uh, with this. Uh, and I saw them, and the, the owner of the now owner showed it. And I mean, that's like, this is how cigarettes would look like in 1930s. Interesting. So no stickers about how harmful they are and things like this. And don't get me wrong, I think we are in a good way. Not everything in the past is super, but it's very good to remember that, that we come along in a very good way and that we might go very long in the future. I think the past gives us, especially with automotive and as much as auto automobiles and personal transportation is criticized, rightfully or not rightfully, I'm not judging here. Uh, it gives us the idea of what have been done wrong in the past has been done better in the uh, later past, so that's correct, and will be fine in future. Do you consider classic cars as a, a form of artwork, like a painting, you know, Picasso, for example? I understand why some people have this kind of feeling about this, but I think it would be unfair towards an artist because a, diff and a designer and an artist are two different kind of shoes. Right, And I think an artist wants to ex express something and they want to change something. They want to show how troubled they are. They want to show how happy they are in situations. And the car is a practic has a practical use. And if you're lucky and you're a great designer, you give this 
give this practical use a nice philosophical idea, I would say. So I think th there's no relation. Uh, nevertheless, both can be very beauty in the uh, eye of the ones who view, view, view the stuff. Yeah, that's a really interesting answer. I remember speaking to a designer of the Bentley and he didn't consider himself an artist. And I sort of gleaned from him that same sort of answer. He was like, actually, it's almost mechanical when I'm designing the Bentley and it's there's a reason for all of my lines. They're not coming out of me because it's how I feel today. They come out of me for a reason to make the car more beautiful and work in, an, in a more beautiful and elegant way. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. What's your favorite classic car? Um, let's say it depends on my mood on the day. So sometimes, you know, I see something which I have never seen before, which is uh, still a lot there, even though now with 22 years as a classic driver, I'm would say that I, I'm happy that I saw a lot of things, beautiful cars, but uh, it could be done. You know, I'm I'm, I'm now in, in Hamburg, so you record me recording this in Hamburg, which is my hometown, and I'm uh, visiting, and I'm uh, driving my friend's uh, G-Wagon, G, G55, which is an awful uh, car in terms of the image, I would say, but I have to say I love this car. I mean, the sound is fantastic, the V8. I'm a V8 guy, so it's not like, don't give me a 12-cylinder, V8 is fine. And some BMW six cylinders also cool, but V8 is the real deal. And I know how um, obsolete this car is, but still I like it. And then there are days where, where I see people which I really dislike behaving like shit in that car. To me, it really makes the car like, ah, oh, maybe, no, I don't like it anymore. <laughs> what about um, a favorite era then? I think my era is definitely the 60s. And I think the majority of, of uh, people in that field I love cars from the 60s. But may, may I just come back to the question, which is my favorite car? So let's maybe rephrase that a little bit. Because I can say, if, if I could drive a Bentley, whatever litter, from the 20s, 30s, as my daily driver, that would be something I really would love to do, even though it's painful to do so. But I think the Bentleys of that era, like the 6.75 litres, all these kind of things, they're so fantastic. I really love them. So that would be something I really like. So also that era is touching me in a sense. And uh, Alex, I'm so sorry, but I really can't answer these questions. I really can't. It's, I mean, that's horrible for everyone who's asking questions, but it's really heavy for me. I, you know, now I'm at the moment, I'm totally in the 80s. Yeah. I totally like Japanese 80s cars. That's absolutely my favorite. And you know what? I learned a good thing. The founder of Classic Driver, who is a vivid car collector, he uh, gave me a very nice lesson uh, in of, oh, I want that car, I want that car. So what he does is, if he sees a car on Classic Driver, that's for sale, he takes a screenshot, put the, the photo on the back of his laptop and his phone and looked at it one week. And if he's after a week still want that car, he knows that he needs to get one of these cars. And I tried myself. I would say that my abilities to invest in cars are very much limited. Uh, but that's what I also do if I'm really hot on a car. I just uh, try to cool down that face. How many stickers have you got on the back of your laptop? At the moment, four. But one, <laughs> yeah. I have to say, is a J-Class uh, uh, class yard, which is Hanuman, my favorite yard, by the way. What do you think is the most unique or rare car that you've had featured on classic driver can you answer that question yes i think i can it will be an answer which will surprise you i think the most unique car that has been ever featured on classic driver is porsche 356 
Now you will ask why a Porsche 356? Because the story behind that car is just amazing. It's a father and son duo from really like normal, not normal German family. They were traveling the US before the son was starting at university as a gift for his Abitur, which is uh, the A-level in, in Germany. And they saw a really rundown 356 on the roadside. And the son said, I want this car. And the father said, are you crazy? Why, you want that car? And he said, yeah, I, want, I always want a Porsche, but you cannot afford it. And then let, let's ask. So they went in. I think they come to agreement. The car was shipped in parts, more than parts then, uh, all together over to Germany. And father and son rebuilt that car. I think they, it took eight years or six years. So this makes this a very, very unique car. Why? Because it's such a lovely story. And as far as I know, they still own it. So the son is still owning the car. And as I said, it's not like a big ticket collector. It really was, uh, they needed to learn how to do parts because they cannot afford buying parts. And I think that's one of the most unique cars we featured on Classic Driver. How do you think Classic Driver differentiates from other classic car marketplaces? Most importantly, what we have is everything on Classic Driver is curated. That means everything is being seen, watched and vetted by someone in the team. Not offline, it's just that who we're working together with, who uh, can become a dealer with us. And we try to be very strict. So if we get complaints about a seller, then that we do actions and not having them on board and not just uh, keep it going. But the curational part is something very, very special. You know, just being around 25 years is one of the most unique things we've done because it shows that we've done some things right. Uh, otherwise, we couldn't uh, survive that time. So that shows that the way we present cars, the way we tell stories about goods for sale, because that's what we do, right? And so we make clear this is a this is a, a car which we love and you can write about it. And um, we get paid for writing about the car. So someone paid like an advert for him. But we take, first of all, we don't accept every car. It must fit the theme. The photography must be right. And that's something which is also super unique to Classic Driver. If you want to get featured on Classic Driver, your photos have to be fantastic because we believe that this beautiful object needs also that extra time. And so we also uh, connect uh, sellers with photographers, Agrimi dagegen and others to create great photography. And I think that's what people love about us. Today, just today, I got a message via Instagram um, saying that a um, gentleman who's following us for the last six years, he's saying he's so surprised how positive everyone is speaking about Classic Driver. So and I think that's a big achievement. I don't say that we did this actively, but we try to be not the arrogant guys, not the ones who know that our, you know, we don't tell everyone we are the best. We're not. Obviously, there are other very good platforms out there, but we try our own way. So what we try to do is, it's a bit like a classic car rally or like a rally uh, in general. So if you follow someone, you do the same mistakes, right? But if you want to take the lead, what you need to do is make your own decisions, but then stick to the decisions. So don't follow and go, even though it's the right way, maybe do wrong turns. And we have always in our philosophy at Classic Driver, what we say is, if there will be a day where someone does a better job than we do, and let's look back at Patrolicious, in terms of video, they were the best. And we're so sad to to see what's happening to them because we appreciate it. We shared uh, Patricia's stuff because we just were there and say, you know, the cake is big enough for everyone, especially in times where we see that individual transport is at stake because we need to change things. 
but maybe we need to do it in a very wise way and not in a very how to say in a very rushed way in a very like weight of idiocracy but there will be change and there must be change but that means also that in our small little field we should all work together to publicize that driving an old car is not a bad thing because these cars first of all if they got driven 5000 kilometers a year then you are a keen driver first of all Second, the cars have been built, so all the energy of building the car, all the waste of energy, all the waste of uh, resources has been done, and they're still around. I mean, look at Rolls Royces. Uh, the majority of the Rolls Royces ever produced are still on the road. So what I want to say is that we have all st to stick together and celebrate each other. And what I wanted to say at the beginning was, if someone does a better job than we do, they deserve it, and we need to find another way. Right. So we never look left and right. We just try to do what we want to do. How does Classic Driver work with car enthusiasts? Like, how do you help someone find the right car for them? I think this is this is something we can't do. We can't help you finding your right car. That's an action you do yourself. But let me give you an example, which is uh, one of our like prime examples how it could work. Classic Driver moved his operation a couple of years ago to Switzerland. And so we became very close to like very mundane places like St. Moritz and the Engadine and stuff like that. Beautiful places, beautiful car culture in Switzerland anyway. But the perfect car for the mountains is the Panda 4x4, the classic Panda 4x4. So our editor-in-chief and creative director, Jan, he was always in love with the Panda 4x4. And then we said, let's do a meeting in St. Moritz where like, where we feel that's the home and the natural habitat, uh, this mundane village in the mountains, where you see the Battles Palace uh, historic Rolls Royce driving around and a modern phantom long wheelbase. Let's go there and celebrate the 4x4, because Agnelli, all the big names in, in St. Moritz, they had one. They were driving these to go to Cresta, to go to the Dracula Club, whatever they want to do. So we ask, okay, let's do a shooting. So we found three or five uh, little pandas up there, and we want to do a shooting about the story. Somehow that leaked a little bit. And that means we got requests, ah, you do a panda meeting, can we come? So at the end, our first panda meeting we created, together with Andrea Kleinguti, who had the idea also in his mind, and he was the photographer at that time, it was a big success, and it was nothing. It was just, yeah, come, we shoot, but you can come, and we have lunch, and that's it. So I think at the end, we had 30 or 40 pandas participating, and still, uh, people were now, everyone around me, I have the feeling, literally, has now a panda, 4 by 4 So we cannot choose the right car for you, but we can give you an idea. And that's what we do. So we, we screen the market. My uh, my colleagues, um, uh, Mikey and Elliot, uh, what they do is they have a, a section called market finds. So in market finds, they pick their cars they think they're cool, which just arrived in the market. And then they write a little story, like two paragraphs about it. And uh, so this is what we try to do. Uh, we try to give you ideas of cars you might like, but we are not able to tell you, give you the advice, what is right or wrong. That's your obligation and we leave that one uh, with you because that would be I think that would be a bit too much Welcome to the 2022 Concorso di Eleganza Villa d'Este So you are an elegance judge at a number of different events, aren't you? Yes. How did you become a jury member? Yeah, I don't know. It's appointing me I think it's always very dangerous because I carry my uh, tongue on uh, my heart on the tongue, I think that's something you say 
in English. No, actually, you get appointed. I think it's not like you cannot uh, scratch on the door and saying, oh, please make me a judge. Uh, it's a great job and you meet great people, but don't overrate it as well. I mean, there are so many of these guys out there, which I think, come on, relax. It's just a concourse of elegance where we judge, judge a car, uh, which might be a good looking car. Yes, but it will not change the world if you're going second. I'm sorry, right? And also don't take the fun element out of it. There are several movements in that scene which try to strictly organize the way we judge. So uh, you just, uh, you know, um, in the in case of uh, Villa d'Este, I got asked and I was super happy because, I mean, I was at that time the youngest judge ever. And I was, you know, when I read the lie, okay, this uh, jury president, Lorenzo Ramachotti, bloody hell, this man. I mean, he designed in his time at Pininfarina, this gentleman who is a true gentleman, he designs the most amazing Ferrari of all time. I really love the most amazing Alphas. He's now even consulting Ferrari. So this man is a brain. We cannot be happier to have him as a president of the jury. And then you have Hamla guy, uh, uh, the Duke of Richmond. I mean, this is, a, and I'm asking myself, what am I doing here? But you know, it is. So they, they come to you and say, you know what? We think you should try it. And then you become, in the first year, uh, you become, I think it's called honorary judge, which means you don't have a final vote, but you're shadowing all the people and how the process is going. And then you become a jury member, uh, which I, you know, also I think that's um, that's something which has uh, really changed my life in terms of cars because I learned so much. I mean, imagine you you, you sit down with Ham Lakai, who is the one who rescued Porsche by designing the uh, the Cayenne. I'm exaggerating now, but he's the one who did the Z1, the BMW Z1, one of my favorite cars. I mean, that's absolutely brilliant. And you learn so much. I can't tell you how much you learn. Yeah, I can't imagine because the diversity, the number of cars that you must need to learn about or be able to get your head around in order to judge them. How do you do that? I mean, that's a very good point. And uh, I have to say there are colleagues that are really like on the point and having like studying the cars from A to Z. Not my cup of tea, to be honest. I'm more like the spontaneous, I would say. Now, of course, I read myself also and if there's if I know my classes and then I know which cars are there and they're sometimes cars I never heard of, right? So then, of course, you you prepare a little bit. And the others, they just have pure the experience because people like Lorenzo, they know uh, when these cars were built or on the road. Uh, and so they know all the story about it. So they don't need to to jump into this. And then we have uh, the always at every concours, it's like this, you have a selecting committee. This is a body that creates the, um, the classes and then they invite and and vet the people who uh, applied for it. And then we have the jury, which is doing this thing on on the lawn. So, and the selecting committee, you learn also so many things. That's unbelievable. Do you find real pleasure in being a jury member? Not being a jury member, but the fact that I met so many incredible people and yeah. saw so many amazing cars, that makes it very good. The action itself by judging or being judgmental about someone is not my nature. And so it's not the, I'm not happy to be a jury member if there would be other ways to meet people in that extent and see people, cars in that extent, I might choose them. But no, it's, it doesn't make me very happy to be judging a car in that sense. It's more the way around it. But that's with everything. Like you might think that I'm interested in the investment part of the business. 
because that's definitely a driver of revenue for Classic Driver, but I'm actually not. No, I really get the sense that you are most interested, as you say, in discussion and stories. And is that what sparked the idea of the podcast? Is that what sparked that, a way of engaging with new guests? We always wanted to do a podcast and we pitched that idea to BMW and they said, yeah, we're on board with that. And uh, yeah, but we want, so the brand says, we want to make it as free as possible. And if you believe it or not, even though it's called uh, Classic Heart, the BMW Group Classic Podcast, guests sometimes don't name a brand. I said, what is the brand? Am I allowed to say it here? Yes, you are. It's a, it's a podcast about passion and fun and BMW they share this passion, so they would never limit it. Okay, if I come with someone uh, like the CEO of Porsche, maybe, uh, I think they would say, oh, maybe not. But look at the Concorso. Concorso is held by BMW. And uh, this year, we're celebrating, for sure, something Porsche, because they have their 75th anniversary. I'm sure there will be something. I don't know it yet, but I'm sure it will be. So we have this, in Villa Alba, we have uh, uh, now, besides the Concorso, we have other events going on, like last year, uh, which, which is called Wheels and Weisswurst, which is a meeting series that happening at BMW Group Classic, and they just transferred it to Italy. Uh, maybe they call it next time uh, Wheels and Spaghetti or something like this. I'm not sure. That will be the, uh, the equivalent to it. Um, but there's all t- kind of clubs I invited there. Aston Martin clubs, uh, if, uh, if, uh, BMW clubs, of course. All this kind of thing. So I'm very happy about this one. And so um, they became the right partner for doing so. So um, we set up the infrastructure and uh, we did a, a contract for, for so-and-so episodes. And we are very happy now. So it works very well. You have a real diverse guest list. Who... Or what is the prerequisite for someone coming on? Like, how do you go about thinking of who you'd like on? It's all about the story you you know. And so the network we have at Classic Driver, due to the fact that we're around that long time, helped a lot. For example, I think we were the very first to do a true and in-depth story about Guy Berryman, the bass player from Coldplay, and finding out that he is an absolute fantastic car person. So knowing him through this, and then say, yeah, do you want to come for a podcast? Yeah, sure, why not? Boom, very nice. And then, you know, we just recorded uh, with Paul House, who is the designer behind the McLaren P1. I mean, that's a legend, this guy. And he's so modest and said, no, 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 can't design for me anymore. What can I do? I mean, I reached the, the highest level, the highest peak I could ever reach. So I become an artist now, different kind of guy. But of course, we did a story on Classic Drive about him. So let's give him also a new form of, representation in terms of tell your story yourself. And I think that's the beauty on a podcast because an article that is written about you is always written about you. It, it will never be transporting your message only to a certain extent, but a podcast where you can either ignore the questions of, of someone who's biting you or you're answering them, you tell the story your way. And I think that's a new form and format which has a big future uh, absolutely. So it will be established STV and radio, mark my words. Who would be your ultimate guest? I believe that we have the ability to get everyone we want. That's what I believe. Otherwise, it wouldn't be useless of uh, doing a podcast. So I will answer this question with someone who cannot be a part of, of, of the podcast anymore because this person is not around anymore. But I wish that I could have the chance to really speak to a Bugatti because I think this guy 
I mean, he must be mean as hell, full of himself, uh, but a character. We are missing, like, in these times where everything needs to be equalized in a way, we need to have characters. So um, I think, yeah, Ettore Bugatti, that would be one of the greatest guests, I think. What would you ask him? Is there a burning question? The burning question is, uh, Mr. Bugatti, is it true that you were riding through the works halls with your horse while your guys were producing the cars? Because that's something, I have a vivid discussion. So a good friend of mine, he's one of the brains about Bugatti and Bugatti history. And he says he believes that this story is not true because it came up that because there's a photo of Ettore Bugatti mounted on a horse in front of one of the uh, work stores of Bugatti. And the handles of the doors are very wide. So they were wider than you would think. And so people said, yeah, that's because the horse were tra horses were trained to open the doors with their nose, push them open with the head. And then he was riding through the production line. So I would ask him if that is a true story or not. You have to imagine, this guy, he was a true marketeer. So he was using quite a standard oil. I think it was Castrol, but Julius will kill me now because maybe that's wrong. Uh, maybe it was a French oil. And refill it into beautiful designed Bugatti oil cans. You might see them if you go to Retromobile and stuff like that, you see them. And he sold it for triple, quadruple the price of the oil. And the oil was exactly the same as it is for everything. I mean, isn't that genius? So that's the, uh, that's, I think, everyone copied that one uh, now uh, in telling us how good everything is. It's just the package. I love that. What a way to end as well. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Get Closer by the Geneva International Motor Show, a podcast where influential personalities from the automotive landscape share their passion. If you like this episode, Make sure to subscribe to this series on your favorite podcast platform.